in advance that this episode is going to be a little bit off the cuff because it has a personal flair to it but I feel like it's worth deviating a little from the norm if even one person listening has as much of an aha moment about themselves and their behavior and their being in the world as I have had by learning about this topic so keep in mind here that I've been on the world on the earth a member of human society for several decades now and I have only just learned that not everybody narrates when they are doing a task not everybody has a set of instructions in their brain that they play through every single time they do something like washing a dish brushing their teeth opening a bottle driving a car so I only learned about this recently because I was talking with a medical professional about my other, you know, unrelated to this, so I thought health problems. And I said, you know, when my symptoms are really bad, I think one way that this really, that I feel it affects my life is that it makes it harder to follow my brain instructions. And they were like, your brain instructions? And I was like, yeah, you know, the instructions in your brain for doing tasks. And they were like, all right, elaborate. And I was like, you know, so when I'm brushing my teeth, if I don't want to stab myself in the neck by mistake, I have to go through the list in my brain that tells me how to do it. You know, you have your list in your brain that says, all right, so now you get to move your hand over this way to the toothbrush holder. And then you have to kind of lower it down just enough so that you can grasp it with your fingers. And when you have enough of a hold on it, you can lift it up, but then you have to move it up higher so it clears the top of the holder so that you can move it over without tipping the holder over and sending it crashing to the floor. And then you need to bring it over and set it down so that you can put the toothpaste on it. Because if you try to do it with your hand, that's not going to work. You can't do two different tasks with two different hands at the same time. And then when you are sufficiently ready to put it into your mouth you need to actually make sure that the angle that you're bringing it up and the speed with which you are raising the toothbrush is not too much but just enough so that it will get up to the entrance to your mouth not your chin not your eye not your neck you see where I'm going with this so I'm explaining this to this medical professional and they said yeah what the fuck (laughs) okay maybe they didn't say that but that was definitely the tone that they gave me So I said, yeah, this is just what you do, right? And they were like, no, no, nope, that is, that is not, that is not what people do, or at least not what most people do. And I was very confused because I've literally spent my entire life doing this. I don't remember not ever not doing it. I've always had to do it. It's not like a preference. Like I wouldn't be able to complete a task if I wasn't constantly having my brain explain it to me because my hands wouldn't know what to do. My feet wouldn't know what to do. My body wouldn't know what to do if my brain wasn't walking me through it every single time I do it. And this person, we talked about it and they said, okay, this is actually something called dyspraxia. And then it was my turn to be like, what the fuck? So this is also called developmental coordination disorder and it is a neurological condition, a neurodevelopmental disorder that affects the coordination of your body and your ability to do things physically or do things mentally even in some cases that require 
fine and gross motor skills and also a certain amount of what they call motor planning. So like planning out an action. So the way that they describe this to me is that this idea of narrating the task that you're doing is actually very normal at a certain developmental point. So when you are a young child who is, let's say, learning how to tie your shoes, usually somebody like an adult will actually narrate those steps for you. They will go through the step-by-step instruction for you while teaching you how to do it or showing you how to do it. And as you are doing it for like the first couple of times, maybe even a while, as you are learning that skill and developing that skill and acquiring that skill, you might go through those steps even out loud. So you might see a kid who's just learning how to tie their shoes, like verbally explaining what they're doing as they're doing it. And that is helping to make that connection between brain and body brain to hand much, much stronger. But eventually the skill is acquired and that need for narration just goes away. Like you, it almost becomes like a muscle memory or it becomes second nature, you know, that kind of feeling of, oh, I just know how to do this, so I don't have to think about it. So this kind of was eye-opening for a lot of reasons, but not least of all, because it actually explained to me why I I have always wondered what people mean when they say, oh, when I do the dishes or take a shower and I let my mind wander, I have some of my most creative ideas. And I'm like, what do you mean let your mind wander? Like, are you just standing in the shower not doing anything? Are you just standing at the sink with a sink full of unwashed dishes not doing anything? Like, how would your mind have enough free space to talk you through the task at hand, literally, but then also be just thinking about random shit? that's impossible. That would never, you could never do that unless, and then this was my justification. I thought, well, some people, this must be like a multitasking thing. Like some people must be able to have two simultaneous tracks in their mind at the same time. So that was just kind of my justification for it. And I thought, well, there's my impairment. I can't do that. I have to just have the thing I'm focusing on, you know, that I have to do and then like be doing it. And then even then sometimes my brain doesn't do it particularly well. So the whole issue with you know, on a day when I'm in a lot of physical pain or I'm very sick from this other health problem, it is much more difficult to go through those instructions and do a task. So even something relatively simple that I've done a lot doesn't get easier just because I've done it for decades because I rely on those instructions to do it. And if those instructions cannot be paid attention to adequately or I'm feeling distracted, then my ability to do that task suffers either to the point where it's done very poorly or I literally cannot do it at all. And this has just been so mind-blowing to me, literally. Literally. And I don't mean that like, yeah, my head didn't really explode. No, it actually kind of did. Like I got a headache talking to this person about this because it is almost unfathomable to me that I lived this long not recognizing that this compensatory strategy that I have is not what everybody else does, that everybody else's brain does not do this. Now, that being said, there actually are a lot of people who do have dyspraxia. And you, dear listener, may be going, oh my God, I think I have this. Or you might know somebody who does. Now, the thing is, is that a lot of times it's it's something that in, in childhood or young adulthood, even well into adulthood, is simply written off as being clumsy. Now, when they first like identified this in the 70s, they were kind of like looking at it as being associated with other developmental like conditions. So it's fairly common in people with ADHD, autism. Um, these are 
sometimes this this dyspraxia is sometimes like features of that but it also can just exist in a kid who doesn't have another like neurodevelopmental condition or is not necessarily neurodivergent in an additional way and so when they first like started describing this they did call it clumsy child syndrome but that was really kind of a misnomer because clumsiness is a little bit different than this i mean there's this idea that for me and this is what this this medical professional explained it as they said you know so a kid who's learning something for the first time has to have the instructions but for you because your brain never like solidified them and took them in and made them into a skill that you didn't have to think about when you do something it's like you're doing it for the first time every single time you do it so I've been brushing my teeth for the first time every day for like 30 years you know what I mean like that's that's kind of how this works so there were other names for it, like minimal brain dysfunction. And again, a misnomer, because let me tell you, I think it is a pretty significant brain dysfunction or rather a brain body communication dysfunction. Because what's interesting about this is that in my experience, and again, this is a spectrum like a lot of neurodivergent conditions. So some people may have slightly different things that are affected by it. And it can affect emotional regulation. It can affect you know, your fine and gross motor skills. So being able to write, being able to do tasks, being able to drive, being able to plan where you are in space and sense where your body is in space, things like that. Um, but I've also found that another area where it's kind of really noticeable is my ability to understand how something is constructed or put together versus being able to make it happen. So I have always marveled at my friends who can do crafts or who can make art, who sculpt or paint, because I can understand intellectually from an engineering perspective, you know, I can look at a diagram and understand where all the pieces go. I can understand why the pieces fit together the way they do. However, my brain cannot communicate that information to my hands in a meaningful enough way for my hands to be able to do it. So this has been like the bane of my existence is that I always wish that I could draw. I always wish that I could do a craft or sew or do something like that. And I cannot, I literally cannot do it because even though my brain, it makes total sense up here, you know, and I'm going, yes, I understand exactly how to do it. When I try to communicate that to make my hands do the task, it's almost like my hands aren't connected to my body at all. It's like I'm trying to telepathically communicate with somebody else's hands and make them do something. So it's like I'm looking at instructions to put together a coffee table or a laptop stand and I completely understand where the pieces need to go. It makes sense. I get it. But it's like me staring at somebody else's hands going, put that there, put that screw there, put it there, put it there, put it there. And I'm like screaming at them and they're not, do. it's not doing it. So that's like what it feels like. So I think what's sort of, again, kind of just mind blowing to me is that this is generally considered to be a relatively uncommon condition. But I think the reason that that is the case is because even though, like I said, it was kind of identified as a sensory integration disorder in the 70s, I believe they called it congenital maladroitness, which actually has a nice ring to it. But again, it's kind of an oversimplification of the, of the spectrum of symptoms and ways that this can affect a person's life. 
in terms of it being in like the DSM-5 and people, you know, diagnosing it as, as, as a separate developmental disorder or as part of another condition, I think the reality is, is that it's probably underrecognized. It's probably very underdiagnosed. There are probably a lot of people who are written off as being clumsy who actually have a, a, a an actual neurological reason why they cannot integrate these skills that they understand these skills because i think what's really key about this disorder is one of the like diagnostic criteria or one of the things that characterizes it is that generally like when they see this in children or in older people it's not an issue of intelligence so they're like the children are of like a normal intellectual development a lot of the time like not always if they have a secondary condition but generally it's not like a developmental delay in the sense that there's not uh, sort of an intellectual component that's preventing them from integrating the information and learning the skill. They're perfectly capable of learning the skill. They're just physically unable to execute the skill. So that's where this whole idea of not being able to do the motor planning thing comes in. And a lot of times that can manifest with problems that are really noticeable when kids are trying to meet their developmental milestones. So like walking and crawling, balancing, and again, another way that I see this is, this is why I could never survive gym class. This is why I could never play sports because I understood the mechanics, but my body would not do the mechanics. So again, it just all makes sense. Uh, you know, it's one of these things that has really given me some food for thought, you know, something to think about. But also um, now I feel like there's an avenue of exploration for trying to reach out to other people with this and find out what they do to make their lives easier because I'm not sure that all of the compensatory methods I have are the most efficient or the most useful. And I'm sure that there are other people who have developed these skills to basically overcome their lack of skill development. Um, and they may be doing things in a way that would be much better than what I do. And I'm very open to that. But likewise, maybe some of the things that I've learned how to do in my life could help somebody else. So I feel a little overwhelmed about it which is why you're probably feeling me being really up and like well, I really want to talk about this and I'm just going to talk and I'm not even going to edit the weird breath and mouth sounds out of this podcast because I just want to tell somebody that I found this out about myself because maybe they know what this feels like and we could I don't know commiserate about it or like exchange instruction sets I mean I feel like now I want to you know go talk to somebody else with dyspraxia and be like can I just download your set of instructions for toothbrushing and like try it out and see how it feels because maybe it's way better than mine you know so i highly suggest i've given just a very basic overview and part of it is is that i'm still learning about this condition actually this is a very recent development in my life so i'm still learning about it and this is just the first part of that process but again i just wanted to be like well i have an audience of people who like to learn stuff so i'm sure that some of you may just be interested in oh i learned about a condition i didn't know existed before but maybe for some of you you're going to recognize yourself in what i'm saying or recognize your child and i think that that is just one of the ways in which i feel like i want to share this information because honestly i'm thinking about too the fact that if somebody had recognized this when I was young and I had not had to go it alone for so many years, I think in a lot of ways there are certain aspects of my life, certain things that I struggled through, certain humiliations that I experienced as a child that were very formative for me, and then certain things practically that I still struggle with today that I could have potentially gotten help with 
you know, be it physical therapy, occupational therapy, or even just somebody saying, actually, it's not that you suck at everything you're trying to do. There's actually a brain reason that makes it so that you can't do it the way that most of the people around you do it. That just would have made a really big difference to me. And I suspect that for some of you, even just hearing about it now might kind of make a difference to you too.